Hello and welcome to Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. I'm Casey Smith, and here's what's on the show this week. We're talking rugby league in Norway. Now, Norway were set this year to feature in the first rugby league World Cup in the wheelchair. Now, they didn't even have a team set up uh, prior to this. So, the man at the helm of a Norway Rugby League, Martin Bedis, the coach, has basically had to start from scratch and field a team, find players. So, it's a remarkable story. Uh, and now, with the World Cup actually being postponed till next year, that perhaps makes uh, Martin Bedis's job that bit easier. He's on the show this week and we're talking the World Cup postponement, we're talking how he got his role, he also talks about how he got back into sport, professional sport, after watching the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and thinking, you know, I, I could give that a go. Anyway, I've witted on far too long, here's the interview. First of all, uh, what are your thoughts on the World Cup being postponed? Uh, obviously, it's a lot of hard work people have put in to getting it ready. Uh, after, obviously, Australia and New Zealand pulled out, uh, I think it was always on the cards that was going to happen. Because, obviously, it's not just those two teams pulling out. It's teams that play, players that play in those countries are necessarily not going to get released. So, it's going to affect... Uh, Tonga, Papua New Guinea, uh, even England, effectively, because obviously some of their players play in Australia. So I think it was on the cards. Is the World Cup better with or without Australia and New Zealand in? Obviously, people are going to want to see them play. They've bought tickets to go and see them play if they get replaced by two sort of minnow teams. So people are going to be a bit, uh, bit miffed that they're not seeing their main teams. And obviously, when you get to the final, and it's obviously it gives them smaller teams the more chance of getting through. But is it a true representation of the best team in the world? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you're in charge of the uh, the Norway wheelchair. Um, I am indeed. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you were preparing for this World Cup. What 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 is it like if, now if then? Anything, yeah, if, if anything for Norway, it actually helps. Right. Purely because of COVID, we've had very little training. Yeah. Uh, so it would have been a case of throwing a team together at last minute with not the ideal preparation. Uh, so for us, it gives us more time to develop the sport in the country, get more people interested, have more trials, get a, a better selection, uh and obviously run, run more training sessions and obviously get some friendly games under his belts. Uh, otherwise, our first game would have been in the World Cup against Spain. Yeah. With having no, it's obviously game time, training time and game time are completely different uh, scenarios. Yeah. So this will allow us. So from the Norway point of view, it's definitely going to help us. We've got another year, because we're a year behind all the other teams in preparation. Yeah. So this gives us at least another year to sort of get things off, off the ground in the country itself. So, you were going to do some training camps in Norway. Did they ever take place be- or was it no. cancelled because of COVID? They, they were all virtual. Right. Uh, so, as you can appreciate, it's not quite the same. You yeah. can go through some, you can watch some videos, you can see how things are done, but getting in a chair and doing it on the ground is, is, is vastly different. So what was the take-up like then of like wheelchair rugby league in Norway? Uh, well, rugby league itself in Norway is small compared to Union. Yeah. Uh, there's currently no wheelchair teams for league in Norway whatsoever. So the, the plan was to sort of get the country excited in the World Cup and then potentially start creating local teams, get the running teams to have wheelchair teams as well. So, so far I've got one team that's going to, that's going to do that. Now it gives us more time to get more teams doing that. Yeah. Uh, the only wheelchair rugby team 
in Norway is for the Paralympic version. Yeah. So there was no wheelchair team for Norway whatsoever. It was a fresh blank canvas, uh, which is good <laughs> in some ways, but you've still got to get people interested to get them in the chairs and then work on the chair skills as well as the rubber skills. Yeah, and, o- and obviously with the World Cup being next year then, you'd expect like a massive, you know, a big boost in in rugby league yeah, in Norway. Get more interest in it. Uh, and, and, and get people interested in the sport and rather than just picking the players that turn up we've then got a pool yeah. of players to pick from rather than just saying right well 12 have turned up so there's the team we can say right we've got 20, 30 people to choose from I can actually now select the best players for the squad rather than just you're in the squad because you turned up yeah and also it'll be you know, look, when looking for players, they won't know that anyone can actually do it. They, you know, ev- even yeah. anyone who's not disabled can, you know, yeah, go along and do it. Assume, they're all going to assume that you've got to have a classification, you've yeah. got to have a disability. Uh, we've got ha- wheelchair handball is quite big in Norway, so we're hoping to recruit quite a lot of players from handball, right. which will give us the chair skills. We just need to then show them the, the rugby skills. Yeah. So, in terms of yourself and like when you started, like what when sort of like when you were growing up, uh, where was that and like what was your upbringing like? Uh, well, I'm originally from Yorkshire. I'm yeah. now living in Cheshire. Uh, started in a mainstream school initially back in the seventies, which is when inclusivity didn't exist. Yeah. If you're disabled, you went to a disability school. If you're able to go to a disabled school. Then obviously, late 70s, early 80s, inclusivity sort of came in and I was sent to a mainstream school, which I absolutely hated at the time. Right. I, was, so I was one disabled person in a thousand. So I was picked on massively. Uh, but just sort of get on with it. Now thinking back, Look, comparing people I, who didn't go to mainstream school with me and the things that they've done since, the things I've done since, thinking back, yes, it was the best thing to do, but at the time, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. Uh, left school, started work. I did a lot of sport at, at school, at the, at the disability school, often not watching the AB, AB school. Left work, left school, started work, didn't really do much back until 2008. Uh, then sort of just watching the power and fix in 2008 and thinking I need to start doing stuff again uh, and started picking up tried basketball wasn't very good at it tried rugby loved the fact that you could smash people out of the chairs on purpose and get away with it <laughs> so I did the Paralympic version and I did rugby league and since gone on to start and develop wheelchair rugby union yeah. uh, which is another inclusive sport yeah. So I, I, at the moment, I'm playing the three main codes: the Paralympic version, the Rugby League version, and the Rugby Union version. Yeah. So you know, um, watching the um, Paralympics 2008 was that like an eye opener for you? As you know, what you could achieve. Yeah. The base. The main thing was I'd seen somebody I knew uh, competing in, in a in a race, and thinking. I was well faster than they were. <laughs> so I'm thinking, if they've gone and done it, then I should have stuck with it and I'd be there now. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, if they can do it, then so can I. Yeah. So I've just sort of gone. So obviously, I've not made Paralympics. I'm still hoping I'm going to try a few different sports and maybe France 2024. Yeah. Uh, if I can get to a Paralympics, win, lose, or whatever, if I can get to one of them, I'll be, I'll be well happy. When you were growing up, like, were you always into sport then, or was that something that you thought maybe uh, I can't actually do? At the at, at sort of middle school and, and junior school, uh, I did a lot of athletics, uh, track and field. Yeah. Uh, carried that on a little bit in the teenage years, but then once you get a job and you have to work for a living, and obviously since then I've had kids... Uh, so they sort of took a priority. So I didn't really do anything from sort of early 20s to sort of mid 30s. I uh, didn't really do anything. 
and then got back into it in say 2008. Yeah. So and obviously since then, obviously I'm still working, uh, and I've now even got my own wheelchair company as well. Yeah, and in terms of rugby league, was you always interested in that, or was that like a later on thing? I was interested. I mean, my dad was a big rugby league fan. Uh, we grew up in Featherstone, so he was a big Featherstone Rovers fan. Yeah. So he took me to games now and again. Uh, I sort of preferred football to rugby. Uh, well, obviously, I'd go to the occasional games. It's really since starting playing it uh, in the wheelchair format that I've got back into watching rugby. Yeah. Uh, if, if England are on playing in, in Union or League, I'm always watching the games. Uh, club level, don't really go to many of the, many of the games uh, unless it sort of coincides that there's a, a wheelchair fixture on and we, and we can go to the match afterwards. Yeah. Obviously, at the moment, I'm play, still playing for Warrington, playing for their wheelchair team. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think I've, I think if wheelchair sports would go, you'd probably pass me as a, as a, as a journeyman. <laughs> uh, I've been to five, six different clubs. Uh, helped set some up. Uh, some of haven't gone as as, as good. As good. Uh, and I say I'm currently playing with my son at, at Warrington. Yeah. So how long have you been at Warrington then? Uh, this will be my third third year. Obviously, last year you can sort of discount it, but yeah, three yeah. years in total. Yeah. Uh, we some as well plays from. So. Yeah. So, when was like your first wheelchair rugby league session then, and how did that like come about? Uh, it was in two thousand and eight or nine. I went up to Wigan Warriors uh, and played there, which was great because a lot of their players were in the current England squad. Uh, Phil Lloyd, so not Phil Lloyd, so Phil Roberts was the current coach of England and obviously current coach of Wigan. So, yes, it was a tough team to get break into, uh, but you learn a lot by playing with the, with the better players. Yeah. And in terms of like your achievements over your career, what would you like pinpoint as like your proudest moment? For rugby league, uh, Obviously, Wigan uh, moved over to team based in Bury, uh, and we won the championship uh, twice. Uh, what else? I've stopped into a couple of semi-finals with the uh, team. Uh, I created my own team in Liverpool. Unfortunately, Liverpool's not really a rugby league town, so. Yeah. Found it difficult to to recruit players. Uh, so I say one winning, winning the league with with Bury uh, is probably a highlight for the league. I've also got all the highlights in other in other sports. Yeah, and obviously coaching Norway now. How did that role come about? Uh, I saw the. Uh, information on the internet saying like there's going to be a World Cup. It's all going to be run at the same time as the men, the women, the, the wheelchair. So I was just sort of looking at what teams were involved, uh, expecting to see the usual teams. And obviously, Norway sort of stood out to thought, didn't know they played wheelchair. Yeah. Rugby. Obviously, America are in it as well. Uh, so I literally sent a few information out to a couple of players that I knew for the Paralympic version try and find out who was running the, the Norway uh, team. Yeah. I thought, they're not that far away. So I was basically said, look, I've been playing for, for X amount of years. If you want any help, uh, if you want some training sessions sending over, if you want some videos, if you want any sort of advice on what chairs to get, to give us a shout. So I spoke to the chairman at the time, the president at the time. Uh, and then... Out of the blue, I've got an email saying, look, we need to hire, look, get a coach. To, would you be interested? Uh, do you want to send your CV in uh, with a few other people? So I did. Uh, and they obviously got looked at my CV, look at what I've done in the past, and said, yeah, you're the man, and there you go. Yeah. And 
coaching is that something that you want to carry on doing as well even further on yeah yeah I've got various coaching badges and different sports and also I've got the experience I'm coming to an age now where I'm not going to be competing at the level that I want to compete so uh, if I can pass my knowledge on uh, then great obviously I can still get on court and, and I'm not going to be a coach that just sits on the sideline I'm going to get involved and show them and, and sort of play in the defence when we're working on an attack drill uh playing attack when we're working on the defence drill and thinking, well, I need to show them what they can do, where, where they can improve. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be definitely a hands-on coach. Uh, obviously, once it comes to games, obviously it's just a case of passing that information on. Yeah. Uh, and trying to resist, trying to resist rolling on court myself and uh, <laughs> getting involved. Yeah. And what would you say, like, is your philosophy, like, a way of doing things? Very visual learner myself, and I think I'll be a very visual coach. So rather than just showing it on a whiteboard and talking through it, I'll be a very right. Let's do a demonstration. Let's walk through it. This is how it needs to be. This way, position-wise. So a very hands-on, very uh, get involved at the ground level. And say right, this is where you need to be on court, and this is what you need to be. And sort of showing them from a hands-on perspective. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, we've got the delayed World Cup. Have you got like a schedule in place that you're gonna do now that, or are you yeah, just we're, we're, yeah? We're still gonna stick to the original plan we had. We've got sessions in August, September, October. Uh, we're gonna still gonna go ahead with those because uh, if we don't, we're gonna be in the same boat we are now next year, as in not no preparation. So we're still going to run ahead. We're still going to go ahead. Uh, and then, obviously, we're going to try and get some friendly games sorted with maybe Scotland or the US or Ireland or whichever team wants to come over. Yeah. Uh, we'll run some, tra- some, some training camps, get a few uh, UK, te- UK league teams to come over and we can, we can work with them. Get teams that are going to come over that, that can pass on information, pass on experience. Uh, and just keep planning regular monthly sessions uh, and keep promoting it as much as we can, try and get the league established, get some league teams up and and running so that we can get players getting some match experience as well as training experience. Yeah. And has there been much support from Norwegian government or is that something that you can do? The Norwegian RFL... Uh, obviously heavily behind it. They've given us a budget for chairs and equipment. Uh, a few sticking points when it comes to cost code, as it is with in the UK. Yeah. The League Reunion have always been <laughs> at head-to-heads. Uh, it, it's the same in any country, so we've still got to get over that. The government themselves are fully behind it. We just need to promote it. The difficulty with Norway is uh, it's, it's a geographical issues. You've got... Towns on the west coast, towns on the east, mountains in the middle. Yeah. So to get from one to the other, it's not a case of jumping in a car and driving two hours down the road. It's a case of jumping on a plane and flying four or five hours. Yeah. Uh, so geographical is going to be an issue. The way the league structure is going to be set is going to be an issue. Uh, it won't be a case of home and away games. It might be a case of getting three or four teams to turn up to an event over a weekend and play each other over the weekend and get it done that way. Purely because of the logistics of getting chairs and getting people to and from one side of the country to the other. Yeah. It might look small on a map, <laughs> but it's a, it's a big country. Yeah. And have, have you looked at, like, you know, maybe heritage players who might be over, you know, wherever? I've, I've searched, searched that till I'm, till I'm <laughs> blue in the face. Uh, I'm black, I can't find any. Right. Not, the, not one in the UK. Uh, we thought we'd found one, and it turns out no. Uh, uh, so no. If, if we could find how to play, it's absolutely fantastic. But at the moment, nothing. Yeah. Uh, and yourself, have you got any Norwegian heritage, or is that just a, no? A I wish job? I had, because otherwise I'd be spending that team. It'll be good anyway. You know, first tournament. You know, everyone loves yeah, a, everyone loves an underdog. It's going to be a learning 
curve. Uh, we planned to get, well, we had planned to get the local primary schools on our side and get them to attend the events. So we're still going to do that. Obviously, we've got more time to prep. And the idea will be they're going to turn up with biking helmets, biking chips, drums, also making lots and lots of noise that potentially will help us and will hinder the team we're playing against. Yeah. Getting the local crowd. Even though it's an English crowd, they're going to be cheering for Norway, hopefully. Uh, and obviously, from a, a coaching point of view, from the players' point of view as well, we're going to say one of you is going to score the very first yeah. try on your country, and you're going to be down in history and, and for, that, for that, uh, that purpose only. You're going to be the first people to play for the country and the first people to score tries. And if we can get a win along the way, great. If we can score score some points, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Set a benchmark, and if we, can, if we can reach that benchmark, great. If we can improve on it, fantastic. Yeah. And so with these uh, training camps coming up, have you got like a set a, lo- a load of players who are already like signed up for that? Or yeah, we have. We've got probably enough for a squad, uh, but obviously then we need to see what level they're at, uh, chair wise, rugby wise. If we can get more, then like say we've got a te- I've got a selection headache. Yeah, uh, which is, which is great. Uh, I'd rather have too many players than not enough. Yeah. And in terms of your company that you've set up, just tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, my main job during lockdown, or before lockdown, I'm a, I'm a disability and automatic driving instructor with my wife. Uh, that couldn't happen at all during lockdown. Obviously, we couldn't maintain the two-metre gap within a car. So, obviously, and I've always been interested in chairs and chair design, uh, I get a lot of people asking me where it's good deals for chairs, what's good, what's not good. So I just thought, right, I've got the contacts in the industry, I've got the contacts within the sports. Uh, I'll set up my own company. So I've done that. I've got contacts from suppliers all over the world, uh, not just in Europe, really far distance ones. Companies that aren't in the UK already uh, sort of jumped at the chance to work with me. Uh, so we're doing carbon fiber day chairs, we're doing sports chairs. Little companies that want to break into the UK market and are gonna do so by myself. Yeah. So is it what is it then? Is it like custom wheelchair things? Uh, yeah, also we've got wheelchairs that you can just come in and buy off the shelf that set sizes. Yeah. Carbon fiber ones. Uh, we've got about a dozen sizes you can choose from so we can tailor them to people's needs. The sports wheelchairs again, we've got entry-level ones that you just pick up and take with you or we can do custom ones made to measure yeah and how, how much does a wheelchair actually cost is it expensive it can be yeah sports chairs can range from i'd say a thousand pounds for an entry chair right maybe slightly less so between say 700 to a thousand pounds for an entry chair 1500 to two grand for a mid-level and three grand up to seven or eight grand yeah. for a high level custom made uh, depending on how you want the seat depending on how you want the frame day chairs again you can pick up a day chair for 500 pounds carbon fiber at the moment for my competitors is at least 5,000 pounds for a carbon fiber chair going up to nine to ten thousand uh, which it's, it's expensive yeah. and people have said I'd love a carbon fiber chair, but I can't afford five, six grand, which is understandable. Hence why I've gone with this company I've been working with to sort of help them mold the chair and help them have a good looking chair. So we're going to hit the market at about 50% cheaper than anyone else on the market. Right. We've got a trade show in, two trade shows in, in September. Yeah. I'm hoping we can get our brand out there. Get, the, get our logo into the marketplace and people are going to buy our chairs at two and a half, three grand compared to the competitor, which is five and a half or six grand. Yeah. And Big difference in price. Yeah. In in terms of like the last, the, the, the longevity of them, how long do they last? Uh, if you look after it, you can get your chair to last five, six years, maybe even longer. Right. It really depends on how well you look after it. 
sports chairs, people tend to have sports chairs probably about three or four years, then they might change and get a smaller size, get a bigger size, depending on how their body is. Day chairs, people tend to change the day chairs usually about once every three years. That's yeah. a lot of different colour or a lot of different brands or something that's lightweight. So it really depends how sort of technology moves on that influences the market. Yeah. Uh, so let's say in 10 years or something, what would you like to have done in rugby league? <laughs> obviously my contract with Norway it might get renewed if, if, if we do really well then Norway are going to say yeah we want to keep you on uh, another country might say yeah you've done fantastic with them what can you do with us it, it really it, it, it's all open at the moment it's my first national well in league league, it's my first national coaching role I've also coached internationally in rugby union uh, I'm going to use that experience I've, I've, I've got in the reunion to hopefully help the team in rugby league. Yeah. So it's it's an open, it's an open door. It's it's hard to say where it's where it's going to go. It all depends on how well we do uh, and how well we can sort of progress the sport in a, in, a, in a country. Was it like daunting? You know, thinking I'm sort of leading a country in in the rugby yes. league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've done it before with England in rugby union. Uh, I've taken them from a fairly, relatively new sport in 2013, and we're now world number one in rugby union. Uh, but I had the players based in the UK, and we had the UK training sessions, so we could train a little bit more often. A bit more daunting because obviously it's going to another country. I've still got to learn the language fully. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of expectations uh, that, that that people want to see their team succeed. So you've got a whole country sort of expecting you to do well. Yeah, it's a, a daunting prospect. It's, it's going to be nerve-wracking. Yeah, but it's, it's part it's part of the job. Yeah, well, you I'm sure you'll be better for it anyway. You know. If if you can make that a success, then you can. You know, this is this is basically the hardest. You know, starting right from the bottom, literally from the bottom. Yes. So, you know, yeah. you've got to. You know, if if you make that a success, then you can do anything really. Yeah, hopefully so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you sort of relish like the big challenges then, rather than like something that's already like you know developed? Yeah, I, I always tend to. Without sounding bad, I always tend to bite off more than I can chew. Yeah. Uh, I tend to thrive more when there's a lot to do and there's a lot more stress involved. I tend to sort of relish that opportunity and uh, like getting stuck in. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely lots to do. There's definitely a big mountain to climb. Uh, but, yeah, bring it on. Martin Bedis there. Now, staying with wheelchair, it was the Challenge Cup final at the weekend. Leeds Rhinos overcame Argonauts 60 points to 28. It was my first time watching a, a, a full match of wheelchair rugby league and you know it was an entertaining clash. Leeds Rhinos were on it all game. I don't think the kicker actually missed um, a conversion which is why uh, there was such a huge, you know, there was a 32 point gap. And I mean... Tom Halliwell were just on it again. You know, he did pretty well in that um, international game, uh, England v Wales, where they ranked up 102 points. I think he got a hat-trick then. So, five tries uh, yesterday, Sunday, which, incidentally, um, the Challenge Cup uh, Twitter account put out a tweet, a stat. Uh, So... He, Tom Halliwell and Tom Briscoe are the only two players to score five tries in a Challenge Cup final. So, I mean, yeah, it don't get really much better than that, does it? And, I mean, he's only 21, which is, to me, is just remarkable. And, yeah, if you want to hear more about Tom Halliwell's story, to anyone uh, new listening, if you've not, 
listened to any previous episodes. Uh, episode 17 features Tom Halliwell. And he tells us all about how he got into the sport, what it was like in his first training session, what it was like being called up to England at just 16 and then being made the captain uh, this year. So, yeah, have a listen to that if you've not already. It's a good one. Right, I'm sure you've seen the news. There ain't going to be a, a, a Super League restructure after all. So... Next year, we're still having the uh, 12 teams. Lee are still going to be relegated because they've lost again. And, well, they've only got six uh, fixtures scheduled in. Whether whether some of those postponements get um, redone, who knows? Probably not. So, with everybody else uh, near to them on five wins, it's, it's probably curtains for Lee, which... I think we all knew when they came into the competition. Bit of a poison chalice, to be honest. I've I've mentioned this on several episodes uh, of the podcast. But forget that for now. It looks like, well, b- because we're having uh, reduced monies from Sky, it does look like there will be a restructure of some sort. But yet again, Rugby League pushes that certain problem <laughs> down the road yeah the it's the we'll get to the that bridge when we come to it mentality which i mean that can have its positives but in in a sport where there's so much uncertainty perhaps now would have been the best time to knuckle down on some sort of plan much like what rugby union has done but of course, sensible thinking does not exist in this sport for whatever reason. So yeah, so next year we won't be having a restructure. So more uncertainty really for for, for anyone coming up. Because, okay, let's say Toulouse uh, come up this year. So in 2022... Newly promoted to lose, and the we're we're still uh, talking about this this ten uh, team league. People already say that it's hard. Well, evidence shows that it's hard. London came the closest. I'm I'm, I'm aware that we don't have many examples of it because we've had all sorts of higgledy piggledy promotion systems, but with the traditional one up one on one down. There's not been that many instances of it. However, it's been incredibly difficult to actually get wins and stay up. And that's just to finish 11th. So when we go down to 10, which, well, that's apparently that's still on the cards for, for the year after. But there won't be an, an increase this year. So... It's that that's going to be an impossible task uh, for Toulouse, and so Lee get relegated. Featherstone have really given it a big push this year, so you'd imagine they're going. You know they'll be favourites next year. So you've got them teams who will want to get back into Super League, but if we re- if it's reducing to ten, what does that mean? Because. I'd imagine people that there's not going to be promotion to that league. There the probably won't unless you're going to relegate more. See, we've we've got the uncertainty. So, you know, uh, if Toulouse, uh, sorry, not Toulouse, if Featherstone, if Lee, if they want to become a, a top team, which they have ambitions of doing, you know, they've got the funds. They can't really because no one's going to sign for them. And we've had this issue already uh, said quite a few weeks back. You know, Craig Lingard mentioned it. You know, they ain't got a clue uh, on what's happening in terms of the central distribution, what money they're going to get, what budgets they'll have, who can they sign, who can't they sign. It's the same for Lee. They don't know uh, who they can sign. And it's... 
you know, anyone who wants to have any ambitions going forward, well, they can't really because players can't commit to more than one season at least because nobody knows what's going on. And I think it's a pretty terrible way of operating. And it's summit it shouldn't be a discussion. We shouldn't be discussing, oh, are we going to have this this year? Uh, oh, what about this and what about that? You know, people go on about licensing and say, well, that does provide the certainty, but, I mean, even with the promotion and relegation, while, while she might say that that, that provides uh, an obstacle it's not even that, it's it's the things around the promotion and relegation, whether we're going to have it, you know. What is the distribution? Please tell the clubs what the distribution's going to be. What's the league structure going to be? What's the promotion and relegation going to be? And please stick to that for at least a long-term five-year period, perhaps, and maybe look at it again. Don't go... <laughs> changing it every two minutes because it's not allowing any club to actually do anything so you might have your amb you've got your ambitious clubs in the championship well the at the moment the hamstrung really because whilst in what one only one team as well so only one team goes up and then we don't know next year actually we don't know because if they are it, it, oh it's a big palaver. We should, for me, we should have 14 teams, but they say they can't afford it. Well, whatever. To be honest, and I, what the problem is, if you go down to your 10 teams, I don't see how that increases the Sky deal when it comes up for renegotiation the year after. You know, it, what what's going to make that um, deal more attractive that they're going to actually pay more when there's two less teams I don't see it and if you think we're in a big mess here now when that one comes up for renegotiation again well that mess is going to be doubled uh, if not even further than that anyway that's all that that's all the restructure nonsense we might as well get into what's happened over the weekend, the fixtures. And yeah, we've actually had... I think we should get the trumpets out or the confetti or whatever because we've had a full round of fixtures in Super League. I know, it's mad. So Thursday, uh, grand final winners, St Helens, lost. They've lost three times this year, which is not that many, but it's still three games. And further doubts over what they're going to be doing come the playoffs. Because, let's be honest, Castleford ain't been that good this year. They're eighth. And they, they've played more games than quite a few others. So, I still don't see past uh, Catalan Dragons, to be honest. But, I think... I think, to be honest, this uh, playoff uh, structure this year with the teams that are going to be in it and the form of the teams that are going to be in it, I think this is going to be the most exciting one because for the last few years, it's been a dead cert that Saints are going to win it. It's probably going to be... It's probably been, you know, Wigan. Wigan are always the other abouts. Now, Catalan's... Anyone could easily win it, I think. I think we're going to have a new grand final winner, which has been very um, few and far between in the Super League era. Also, Lee lost again, I referred to that earlier. 46 points Leeds uh, ranked up. You know, just when you think Lee are getting closer, you know, that uh, that result last week, well, whilst it was a loss, they probably should have won. You know, uh, some refereeing decisions went against them, and it were whole KR who have been. Well, they won again. They beat Wigan, so they've been top of the game. But they can't find any consistency, can they? Well, they they are consistent. <laughs> They're consistently bad. Uh, but that's perhaps harsh. 
Uh, Wigan lost. I've not been impressed with Wigan this year, to be honest. Hull KR beat them. They were Wigan were pointless uh, in the second half, and and only fourteen points. Which I've said several times, try scoring is a big issue for them. And I'm not sure what the squad's going to look like next year either. Who have they signed? That's actually, you know, an established name rather than a periphery type player. Salford beat Huddersfield for the second time. I'm sure all the Salford fans were very much delighted with that, especially with uh, Ian Watson not too pleased after the game. And it they overturned it in the second half, so, you know, quite good. And after some early jitters about Salford, it, they, they weren't looking too good in those early rounds. But I think they've found their feet, to be honest. Probably taking a longer time than what they would have wanted. But it's five wins for them, which... It's it's all right, yeah, and that new signing as well for next year, Brody Croft. Very much looking forward to seeing him play because you're expecting him to be some sort of difference maker, aren't you? And yeah, there was a yellow card again uh, in the game. Clearly, of course, you don't go a match. Uh, that features Salford without a sim binning or a red card this year. And they've also had to deal with the loss of Lee Mossop, who's had to retire. So there's been all sorts of adversity, really, for Salford this year. And it's a very much a transitional period. So I think this is to be expected and... They'll probably have a better season next year. Catalans beat Hull FC. 31 points to 16. Hull in a bit of a bad patch now, to be honest. If you look at those results, the last win came quite a long time ago. They've had so many postponements. I think the last win were 25th of June, which that's nearly two months ago. They've had one, two, three, four postponements uh, between then. They've also played four games uh, in that period. They've lost against Leeds, Huddersfield, St. Helens, Catalan. And they probably should, you know, some of them games they probably should have won. I think Hull FC, they do me heading because one time they'll look really at the top of the game and then they'll just fall into insignificance. And, I don't know, seven losses, I mean, it's not good enough for me. A lot, you know, they've got a lot of high-profile players. They probably should be doing better. And we spoke about, well, quite early on, saying how the new coach has sort of showed them up defensively. And that's probably the case, but in the last few fixtures, they've conceded... Well, the last two, they've conceded 73 points. Um, and the last two fixtures before then, that's as 62 points conceded. So if you add all that up, which I ain't going to because I won't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> if you add all those up, there's a lot of points being conceded there. Now, I'm sure they've got all the COVID issues and injury issues and whatnot, but... For me, that's not an excuse. Uh, Wakefield got their first win after Chris Chester was sacked. There's just on the sacking. There's questions over what could uh, what could Chris Chester actually do? Are they then their squad is not playoff contending? I'm sorry, it's just not. But it was a weird game that Wakefield Warrington won because Warrington were pretty crap for most of the game and Wakefield just kept ranking up the points but something happened in those last 14 minutes I think maybe they got tired or they ran out of steam or what not a clue but Warrington they 
they kept they just kept scoring in the last ten minutes, which I think there were four points behind at one stage, but you you wouldn't have seen that coming. The win was a foregone conclusion, but time ran out for Warrington, and I mean poor result for them. You know they're supposed to be the third best team. They've lost just four games. Well, I I didn't see that uh, in that game. Into the championship. Now then, we're gonna talk relegation because I don't think there's any way back now for Oldham or Swinton. I think there's six games to go in the championship. Swinton have won just one, and Dewsbury, who are just above the relegation zone, have got five wins. So, even if uh, Swinton won six, all their last games, I think they've actually played... Yeah, I think they've got less games to play, so it won't be, it'll be five games for them. There will just only be one win ahead of Dewsbury, and that's, you know, Dewsbury. They're going to win at least one more, probably. Swinton are gone. And similarly with Oldham now, to be honest, even Brian McDermott's not been able to turn the tide, and it's unfortunate because they have been very close in a couple of these games recently. And you thought, when they beat Halifax, you thought, bloody hell, Oldham are going to do all right this year. But they've they've really not done good enough, I'm afraid. They've had quite a few games where they needed to win, and they, they just haven't. So I think it's back to League One uh, for Oldham, which is a shame, but League One League One will be quite good next year because you'll, you'll have Swinton, Rochdale and uh, Oldham. That's assuming Rochdale don't get promoted this year, which they're in a playoff spot at the moment. They, they could well do. But yeah, quite a few uh, Greater Manchester teams in there, so... That's good enough for me. I think praise has to go to Whitehaven, who were also promoted, along with uh, Oldham, to the Championship, because they've just beat uh, London, full-time team. I haven't got a clue what's going on at, Lo- uh, at London, but I mean, what? I thought they were going to be one of the top sites this year, but there's been some calamitous results recently. And it's a win. They won. It's a game they won comfortably uh, earlier on in the season. I think they won forty six points to ten. Or they certainly scored forty six points against Whitehaven. But Whitehaven win. And just listen to some of these results that they've had this year. Uh, they beat London, as I've just said. They beat Dewsbury. They've beat Newcastle twice. And Newcastle have been good and all. Impressed with them, um, although they do have uh, good backing. Uh, they beat Oldham twice. They beat Swinton. Everyone's beat Swinton, so that sort of, you know. Uh, they beat York, who, I mean, they were impressive last year. Not done so well this year, but they've still got bags of Super League talent in that squad. Uh, they drew to Sheffield uh, Eagles. They came very close against Batley, and they came very close against Bradford. So... They're a highly competitive side, and for someone who's come up for League One, I mean, coach of the year, perhaps? Uh, well, I'm sure Craig Lingard will have something to say about that. I think it's between them two, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, well done to Whitehaven, Cumbrian side. Some of the other results in Championship, Batley won again, Swinton lost, Sheffield beat Oldham, and Dewsbury beat Widnes. That was a close one. There was a there was a second half comeback there from Widness, but I'm afraid it weren't enough. Uh, I think Dewsbury got the drop goal, which was the edge. Twenty three points to twenty two. League One, North Wales Crusaders beat Barrow, which perhaps is a surprise. North Wales Crusaders has been a pretty good team this year, but I mean, so of uh, Barrow. So there's actually a there's a new leader now, so Barrow might be sucked into the playoffs, which will be kind of a disaster uh, if if that happens. But quite a few games still to go. It, it could all change. Hunslet won thirty eight points to ten against London Scholars. 
Keithley won against Coventry and Rochdale pretty much battered Doncaster. I think Doncaster were doing well earlier on. However, they've, they've sort of fell short in recent weeks. But they're still fourth. Strangely, right, this is the mad world of rugby league where we've got this points percentage of whatever it is. Rochdale have played the same amount of games as Doncaster. However, they've won more games. They've won seven. Doncaster have won uh, just six. And guess who's in front? Yeah, <laughs> Doncaster. Because I think they've drawn three times as well. So that's what pushes their percentage up. And I think that's kind of the... I think that kind of shows the fine margins that are in League One at the moment because Coventry were down in eighth. They've got five wins, which, I mean, traditionally, one win would put them up to fourth, uh, depending on uh, points scored and points conceded, whatever. But we've got this mad uh, percentage, whatever it is, which nobody can get their head around. It's a good job we've got calculators. Uh, oh yeah, also, uh, West Wales go close again. They nearly they nearly did it against Workington, who, well, the top of the league. I think they were winning quite... Um, it were you score, I score type thing, and they were, they were in that game up for most of the game. Workington did win, eventually. They did um, stride ahead uh, in the last few... St- Stages, 36 points to 22 that. But uh, next up for West Wales is Coventry. So, I mean, going off their recent games, that's one they probably might win. Will will it be their first win for God knows how long? Let's hope so. But yeah, that was it for this week. This episode, we've been talking about Norway, Rugby League. Well, next uh, episode, next week, Monday, we'll be going over to Russia. Where we're talking about rugby league in Russia. Which I'm sure will be a good listen. Because I'll be chatting to John Christie. Who is the director of the Russian Association of Rugby League Clubs. And he's, his role's basically growing the game in Russia. So we're going to be talking about all that. And we'll be talking about international rugby league. You know... Should should we be having more international matches? You know all the all the big issues, as per. So we'll be talking to an Englishman living in Moscow. So not quite an Englishman in New York, but yeah. Um, join me next week for that. Cheers.